don't need microphones. They usually don't allow me to have them. I mean, humming up here somehow. All right, that better? Okay. I, I do have a long standing with one of your staff members, and, uh, but it's not Harold. Uh, Harold and I go way back, but Chrissy and I go way back too, and Jane. Uh, Jane and I met at the church where Chrissy's grandparents were attending, Memorial Park Christian Church, Jack and Arlene Franklin, and years and years ago got to, got to know them, and that's where I met Jane. And then later, after Jane and I got married, our first church we served in was Sperry Christian Church in the north side of town here, and David and Kim, her parents, came down on weekends to be our youth minister. So it's neat to see Chrissy as she's grown up and, and come a part of this church and looks like she's doing a great job filling in here. Uh, Brother Harold and I, of course, we go way back to uh, first time I met Harold was at Camp Seandy in Faxon, Oklahoma. If you don't know where Faxon is, you just go to the edge of the earth and it's about five more miles. And uh, we had church camp there in the last weeks of July and August down by Lawton, Oklahoma in uh, just the hottest weather you ever known. And we prayed and prayed, and God gave us Camp Pink uh, out by Norman. It was a lot better, better place to go. It's good to be with you all today. Uh, this weekend is a different weekend. I had planned on sharing a different message when Harold asked me to come. I wanted to, to do, a, uh, you know, I thought of just a typical Christmas message, which one uh, would I would I'd like to do, but uh, today, this weekend, Christmas is not the same, is it? It's not the same for many families around. Uh, many of us have imagined what it would be like if it was one of our children or one of our grandchildren that was in there. I saw this little young boy up here in the front uh, in a red shirt just actively moving about and about the age of those kids who lost their life. We have a, uh, a first grader uh, in our family. And uh, what a, how, how do you even begin to begin to try to comprehend that? This morning, I want to share just some thoughts. Bethlehem understands this. This isn't the first time this has happened. It's happened over and over again, and the slaughter of innocence goes back to even to the day of Christ. We remember the birth of Christ. My good friend Rick Bartlett wrote on his Facebook page, he says, I can't help but think many years ago to another senseless tragedy befalling little ones that no doubt tore the hearts asunder of those there. The story is recorded in Matthew, the second chapter, verses 13 through 18, God has been catching the tears of broken-hearted moms and dads for a long time. These senseless tragedies that come. Listen in Matthew, the second chapter, about that event when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with that time, he had learned from the Magi that what, that what he said through the prophet Jeremiah would be fulfilled. 
a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping for the great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. What do we do as a Christian in a time of tragedy? Some of you young men during the Columbine thing that happened, you know, probably were thinking, what would I do if that happened in my school? Where would I be? What would I do? And, and it's, it hits us everywhere. This world that we live in, in a season when we should be singing Christmas carols, singing peace on earth, goodwill to men, all of a sudden senselessness and evil pervades upon our situation. Friday's news began to break out about the horrific shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. I don't know where you were, but I know where I was. And one of my people said, did you hear? I said, did I hear what? And I began to explain the tragedy. It's just, you cannot wrap your arms around this idea. Someone doing the senselessness of this violence, the senselessness of the, of the situation, the innocence of the victims, little children. Much of that response that came that day, whether it be upon the news or whether it be anywhere, was a prayerful response. A prayerful response. Yes, we've seen over and over, the news just seems to go over and over and over and over and recounts and talk to this person and another, but we try to grasp that. But in this life and in this time, we will never be able to understand why evil. It's just a part of this world, this fallen world. Ed Ames wrote in the 1960s a poem that I would like to share with you today that explains the senselessness. And he says, From the canyons of the mind we wander on and stumble blind through an often tangled maze of starless nights and sunless days, while asking some kind of clue or road to lead us to the truth. But who will answer? Side by side, two people stand together, vowing hand in hand. That love's embedded in their hearts, but soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives, and then we seek the hows and whys. Who will answer? On some strange and distant hill, a young man's lying very still. His arms will never hold his child because a bullet running wild has struck him down. And now we cry, dear God, oh why, oh why? But who will answer? High up on a lonely ledge, a figurative teeters to the edge. A jeering crowd collects below to egg him on with go, man, go. But who will ask what led him to his private day of doom? Who? Who will answer? If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who, who, who will answer? In the rooms with darkened shades, the scent of sandalwood pervades, the colored thoughts of muddled heads, reclining on the ruffled beds of unmade dreams that cannot come true. And when we ask what we should do, who will answer? Neath the spreading mushroom tree, the world revolves in apathy, and overhead a roar of specks roars on, drowned out by discotheques. And if a secret button's pressed because one man's been out, guess who will answer? Is our hope in walnut shells will round the neck with tipple bells, or deep within some cloistered walls where hooded figures pray and halt? 
halls or crumpled books or dusty shelves or in the stars or in ourselves. If our soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who, who, then will answer? And Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah was living in a world similar to ours. The people wouldn't listen. They had hardened hearts and and their eyes were blind to all that was going on around them. And it seems a commentary of our world today. But the question still remains, who? Who will answer? Whom shall I send, the Lord says. Who does he have to send? Jesus said to us, go ye into all the world and do what? Preach the good news. The world needs good news this Christmas season. Do you believe that, church? And who has the good news? We do. Isaiah said, hear my Lord. Send me. Send me. Oh, today I want to be one of those that the Lord sends. Because, you know, we have a God. And our God is a giver of good and perfect gifts. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change. There is no shifting shadow. He is the constant that our world is looking to anchor itself to. He is the one who is the answer. Not in some psychologist who goes through all kinds of human reasoning and all these kind of things. That's an endless circle that will never get anywhere. We can't look within ourselves, but we must look up to the Father of heavenly lights. Amen? See, the devil is the father of lies. The devil wants us to believe that we can take care of it ourselves, that we can do it ourselves, that that we can become good enough. But let me tell you, we never can do it in our own flesh and in our own strength. Sadly, there is an absence of God in our society today. Do you believe that? When our president says that we are no longer a Christian nation, He didn't quite put it in that words, but that's what he meant. But it happened long before our president said it. Do you believe that? I can remember as a kid when we took prayer out of schools, we began taking the Ten Commandments off the walls. The amazing thing is that our forefathers so indelibly put in the, into all of our national, our national monuments and shrines scriptures over and over again that they're almost going to have to tear down everything and rebuild it. Because as God was in them everywhere, and now we find God nowhere in the things that we do.
It takes tragedies like happened this last week to once again to get us to remind that we must look up to God. Oh, we need to be angry with sin. But we find here that 1 Corinthians tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Do, not know, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor male prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But what grips me the most is what that next line says in this passage. That is what we were before we came to Christ. That is what some of us were. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God came upon you. Young men, what do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? A lawyer. Are you going to be a Christian lawyer? I pray so. It is what you want it to be. The scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What I was thinking yesterday is what I am today and what I'm going to be meditating upon in my heart and life today is what I'm going to be tomorrow. Each and every one of us in this room has a choice of what we will be. Will we stand up in the crowd? Will we be like Isaiah who will stand up against the tide and say, I'm going to be a Christian, whatever it is that I'm doing. I currently work at a hospital. I'm the support services manager there. But I pray more than anything that I'm a Christian support services manager. I pray that people, when they look at me, will say there's something different about me. I don't t go around telling people that I'm, that I'm a preacher. Now they find out quick enough. But uh, I'm not preachy. I just live it because it's right. See, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 and through 16, he says, You are the salt of the earth, and the salt that loses its saltiness can never be salty again. It is no longer good for anything but to be trampled upon by the foot. And so we've got to keep our saltiness because Satan wants to dilute that and dilute our effectiveness and get us down to be where we're worthless or we're nothing. He goes on and says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp on a lampstand or under a bowl, but instead on a lampstand where it can be seen, where the whole room, are we, are we letting our light so shine before men that they see God, not us? See the good works in us and glorifying our Father who is in heaven. How does the Christian respond to tragedies like this? We get angry with, with sin. It, it grieves us. It grieves us. But we have a blessed hope that's far greater than the world has. We realize that this world is only temporary. We realize that it wasn't the end for those 20 little innocent children in the school. But they're, but they're with Jesus. Amen? 
We've got to share that message with the adults and with, with the people of our society. We've got to share with them that Christ makes a difference. Christ helps us to learn how to live with one another and how to love one another and not hate one another. Christ teaches us how to forgive and how to overcome bitterness. And oh, the joy that to see testimonies like one father Jane was telling me about as she was watching the, the, the series of, of how he was able to, in the interview, say, I forgave him. I forgive him. That's not easy. We can say in our mind right now that we would say that, but you don't know until you're there, do you? You don't know until it comes upon you. And I pray that, that I will have that same resolve in me that was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. See, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep and grieved as the rest who have no hope. We have a blessed hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to that day that I could be with him. But while I'm here, I can still have peace on earth and joy, and I can spread that joy because Christ is in my life. I am no longer a citizen of this earth. I am a citizen of heaven. And I'm looking forward to that time. See, our president quoted this passage from Isaiah 47.3. says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And when we have struggles and when we have trials, God is going to be with there. He's going to be our comfort and he's going to move us on because he's going to keep us fixing our eyes, not upon our current situation but the ultimate goal. See, these trials we have, 1 Corinthians tells us, is a momentary light affliction. But we're pressing on towards that higher calling, that goal that comes. We need to be grateful to God and to be prayerful for the lost. We need to be prayerful for those who have lost loved ones, and we need to gather our arms around them. We may not know any of the 20 people, that families that were involved with these little kids, but we know people in our community that maybe have lost a little one. Maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend. We need to reach out to those. As Christians, the church needs to be the most compassionate people of all. We need to be the people that are there helping, doing whatever. We need to be the volunteers in our community. Some of us, as we get to be seniors, we retire, we forget that we still have some service that we can give either to our church or to our community. Working at a hospital, we have, we have a volunteer organization and it's, it's really great and I get to know all of the different volunteers there at the hospital and uh, that they come in and they help and they minister to people and they do things that, that we can't possibly do in a way that we couldn't possibly have time to do as volunteers. The Red Cross needs volunteers. Schools need volunteers of, of mentors and, and, and people just to help. We need to be that light in the world to, to take Christ. And, and to share him in those situations. 
See, tragedies enter our lives unexpectedly, and we are never ready. I don't care how, you know, one of the things we were talking about is we need to have more disaster drills and more things of, of prepare. You're never ready. I don't care if you, if you have practiced and practiced. You're never ready for, for what happens that day. I can tell you by being at the hospital these last 10 years and seeing some of the carnage that comes in and to see the families and as, as, as kind of their acting chaplain ministering to the families, you're never ready. I don't care how many drills you have. And it's not just the, not just the, the, the families that I have to comfort. Sometimes I have to comfort the staff that minister to those individuals. We're never ready. But one of the things we do have is we have a Savior that's there with us in every situation. Last Friday was tragic. But I can remember a Friday that was very tragic in our lives. And we talked about it earlier in our service. The, the tragic day that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was crucified upon a cruel cross of Calvary. For nothing that he had done, but he became, took upon himself the sins of us all. But what do we call it now? We don't call it a bad Friday. We call it a good Friday. Because only God can make sense. Only God can take tragedy and turn it into an opportunity for good things to happen. How do we respond? We respond with love. We respond with caring. And we respond as Jesus would. Jesus knows their sorrows. Jesus knows their trials. And we take Jesus to them. Whom will I send and who will go for us? Today it's us. There's nobody else that's been commissioned there's nobody else that, that can do it. It's only we, the church, that has that opportunity to be able to make a difference. Sometimes, as a preacher, I feel so helpless when I go to a family in tragedy. But I do the only thing I know to do, and I just go and I stand with them. There are no words of comfort. There is nothing that I can say that can make the situation better. I feel so helpless. But I go and I stand with them so that they know that Jesus cares. And that's what we need to do. We may not know how to do many things, but we can go and we can just be with them. Those of you who know how to bake, you can bring in cookies or you can bring in food or, or whatever, things like that. Take the gifts that we have and let's minister to a lost and dying world who needs Jesus. Who needs Jesus. First Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Our God cares. 
And we need to let the world know that our God cares. The world is out there trying to say the church doesn't care. Church people don't care. All they're concerned about is their buildings. All they're concerned about is you giving them money. Well, we got to show them something different. we got to show them that that's not what we're about. We're not about bricks and mortar. We're not about what we want. We're here to do God's will and to be His ambassadors that we might reconcile the world to Him. Amen? Oh, as we make a difference, and we can do it. We can do it. We can make that difference. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And as we draw near to God in these situations, we can draw others near to Him also. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says, I heard the voice of the Lord of the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death and mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will be passed away, and I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to a day that we never have to see another senseless shooting, a day that we never have to see another trying thing. Jane was just telling me this, just as we came in that she'd heard about that there had been a bomb plot in Bartlesville that had just been, that could have caused a high school disaster. It's around us. And it's not the White House, it's not the Congress that's going to make a difference in our world today. It's the church house. Because we have been given the mission. Amen, church? Oh, God wants us to, to move ahead, to move forward. One of the things that gives me such great joy in my, in my life, you know, when I was a young kid, just a little kid like some of these little kids, and we were reading scriptures and, and understanding them, and I remember hearing Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, uh, verse says that we, as we approach heaven, as we finish the race, there's going to be a great cloud of witnesses there. And as a, as a younger man, I was thinking of the cloud of witnesses. And of course, from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, you get that, that idea that there's going to be Abraham, and there's going to be Moses, and there's going to be Noah, and there's going to be King David, and there's going to be Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and all the prophets. And there are going to be the 12 apostles there, and that great cloud of witnesses. And, and, and I had all those fi figures on my, uh, on my mind as, as, as I was thinking of that great cloud of witnesses. But today, as I'm older in ministry... I see different faces at that cloud of witnesses there. I see the faces of people who have gone on before me. Joe Harden from, from Tuttle Christian Church. I see, you know, different great individuals of faith that have, have touched my life. Pastors that have, have, have lived before and have now gone on to be with Jesus. I, I, I see my mom and dad who raised me up in the church and, and they're standing there at that gate waiting for me to come across. And I see different friends of mine, David Casey, who used to preach, who was the, the associate pastor at East Tulsa Christian Church when Jane and I were married and was taken early in life. I see, I see faces that I understand. I, I, today, I can even see 20, 
elementary kids now standing at that gate. Oh, we have a blessed hope. We have a reason, and I have far more friends today in heaven than I, than I ever imagined that I could ever have. And I'm looking forward to that day when I get to be with them. But until that time, I want to make sure that my friends and your friends... See, we've got to get out. We've got to go to our next-door neighbor. How do we prevent tragedies like this? By winning people to Christ. By sharing with them the gospel and giving them that opportunity. Oh, we may not reach all of them, but we will reach some. And we will never know until we try. Amen? And so today, we want to try. Joan Baez wrote a song a few years ago. And I don't know whether it was in a tragedy or how she wrote it, but I, I remember the song. Maybe you remember it. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. You know your mama was born to die. All my trials, Lord, soon be over. The river Jordan is muddy and cold. Well, it chills the body, but not the soul. All my trials, Lord, soon be over. All my trials will soon be over. But until that time comes, Jesus is going to help me through those trials. He's going to help our world through those trials. He's got the answers to all the questions that people are asking about this situation. Because his way is the only way that the lamb will lay down with the lion. His way is the only way that our world can truly find peace. It was only in those days when Israel came to Christ, or came to God again, and will restore that they found the true peace <laughs> that passes understanding. This morning, We've got the message. It's about Jesus who came over 2,000 years ago into a community that was unexpected, into a place that wasn't ready for him, wasn't prepared for him. And so we find that he came as a babe, lying in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. He was a king, but he came in the form of a pauper. Scripture says, the word became flesh just like you and I and dwelt among us. God came down to our level because he knew we couldn't get up to his without his help. God came down to make a world a better place. And Jesus is the only answer. Amen? Amen. This morning, if you need that answer, if you need that peace, if you just need prayer, this morning at our time of invitation, we invite you to come.
your brothers and sisters are here to encourage you. If you don't know what you need to do, but you have questions, don't leave this place with any doubt in your mind. Come forward, and we'll share with you the good news and the gospel that you might have life that Jesus promised, that you might have it abundantly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we had to share together today. Jesus is our only hope. He is our blessed hope. In him we put all our hope. Amen.